In a world. Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who said? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world. Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so. Anyway, fuck yeah. Pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron. We both do. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, They'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot.
Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. A friendly face on the other end of this computer that I have not seen or talked to in a long time and gotten a fair amount of trouble with, really. I mean, a good trouble, but a lot of fun. So please, fill everybody in. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? What's up, everybody? My name is Dan Blakely. Um, I am retired from the sport pretty much these days, but I... Uh, was a tandem instructor, AFF instructor, and shot lots and lots of video. Um, had the pleasure of the opportunity to sit next to this guy for quite a few years and uh, assault our tandem passengers usually in a good way. Yeah. Uh, scare them, scare them half to death, so that when we actually got into the skydive, it wasn't so scary. So. Yep. Yeah. We. I'll tell you what, man. I've 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 used actually one incident that that we'll talk about that. Um, we got back and forth on the jokes that we used to do where I went way too far. And I've actually used it in reference many, many times, both on the podcast and in my writing. Like, yeah, this was the time I took shit too far. <laughs> and you'll remember this, but we'll, we'll the demo- one time. Yeah, the one time. <laughs> so before we get started into all that and, and uh, in some of the silly shit that we did, how did you get started in not necessarily just skydiving, but in anything extreme? Um, I always so when when I was about fifteen, I uh, I started doing tree work. Um, I, I grew up a little bit hard. My dad was in the military, but I grew up a little bit hard. My dad was gone a lot. Um, came from a broken home, so we, me, my brother, and my sister, kind of raised ourselves. And uh, I found out early on that I need to pay my way. Like no one's doing this for me, even even as a kid, you know. And uh, I started doing tree work and. Um, so heights never bothered me. I, 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 I guess I trained my brain uh, at an early age that heights never, I was always climbing trees as a little kid. And um, so I was never afraid of things that way. And, mm. um, and uh, I don't really talk about this side of my life a whole lot, but I, I experienced some things at a young age that, that, uh, that pushed me into a dark place. And, and uh, honestly, I'm ashamed of the reason I went to do a tandem, but I'm also uh, very happy that the reasons that put me into that that position um, allowed me to, to discover something that I really loved. But um, I was a suicidal kid, even though I was, thank God, I was a coward uh, when it came to actually, you know, committing to that moment. And um, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go skydiving because if something bad happens, I really don't give a shit right now. Sure. Sure. And uh, like many of us, we have some something. A lot of people come to skydiving from uh, a divorce, a life change. A friend dies, and they realize that you know uh, their life is uh, very valuable, and they want to experience all they can. So uh, I made a, I booked a tandem, and then I went out, and uh, I re- I think I re- I remember in the middle of freefall screaming, "I own this fucking world." I'm living forever. Like I just, it was a completely pivotal point of my life. It was, um, I realized that, uh, the things that had happened to me as a child were out of my control. I should no longer be ashamed of those things. I should, I should focus on, you know, what I can do with this time I have on this earth. And, and, uh, you know, so quickly, of course, right after my tandem, I, uh, actually it did, it was about six months later, I saved up a bunch of money and I went back and I scheduled my AFF uh, ground school. And then uh, 
um, Bobby, Bobby Goldman, uh, was my, was my, uh, uh, he taught the course and it was funny because, um, there were like four or five of us in the course. And when, when we it was a two night thing, we did a, a split four four hours, one night, four hours the next night. And, uh, he's going around asking everybody when, when, when do you want to schedule your, your, uh, and back then level one, not category a, of course, right. when do you want to schedule level one? And I was, it, he was asking everybody and, I'm like, motherfucker, this guy hasn't asked me yet when I want to do mine. And he gets to me last and he goes, I just want you to know, <laughs> I didn't ask you because I know you're coming tomorrow <laughs> because that's how, that's how eager I was. And that's how uh, uh, excited I was to get that ball rolling. So that's, that's awesome. That's, yeah. That's what put me in it. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I just, um, I think maybe two podcasts ago had uh, uh, Jason Maletsky on. And his entrance into the sport was very, very similar. Same thing. He was in a very dark place and kind of just didn't didn't have any motivation left and, and wasn't sure he wanted to stick around and went out and made that first jump. And uh, he and I got into that conversation as well that uh, I wish I could gather up the friends that I've had uh, outside of Scott Eving that have felt that way and taken them on a jump because it can make a, an incredible difference. That being said, um, Scott Eving is no cure-all for suicidal tendencies. I mean, you and I have a, a, a good friend, Kevin Love, um, who took his own life um, a couple of years back, uh, and he was one of the most radical skydivers that either of us knew. So, you know, so it's not a cure-all, but um, it that probably extended his life a lot further than it would have, for sure. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only cure-all to that situation comes from within. Sure. And, and, and if you if you discover something that that helps you grow as a person and, and leads you to a different place in the mind and then the heart, then for sure you can heal. But if you're not willing to take that look deep inside yourself, you know, then you're never going to heal. You're just you're just performing an act outside and inside to yourself and sure um you know I, i'm just grateful that i was willing to meet some folks along the way that that um showed me some things and i learned and i absorbed yeah for sure well and and uh it was funny because i i had not had a lot of contact with kevin over the last uh few years we were actually uh talking briefly about trying to get him on the podcast uh, and uh, that was the last time that I had spoken to him. So I didn't realize that he had that kind of stuff going on, um, which was a bummer. I was pretty shocked when I found out that uh, that that had happened. But again, you're right. I mean, the only person that can fix those demons is is the individual that's dealing with them for sure. Now, yeah, I had I had no I sorry I had no, no idea either that he was struggling from, from, you know, whatever it was he was struggling with. So. Well, we're fucking good at hiding it. Right. I mean, especially skydivers, man, we learned to internalize so much because I talked to so many skydivers both on and off the podcast that admit how scared they were learning how to skydive and what a struggle it was to learn how, and potentially how difficult it still is years into their career, but you'd never know it by looking at them. Right. You know, I mean, you talk to some of the world's best that were like, yeah, I was shitting my fucking pants and terrified every time I was heading out to the drop zone, wondering why in the hell am I doing this? But you would never know it because we internalize it so much. And I think that's both potentially a really good and a really bad thing. 
You know, right. I mean, you can't have a, a high time skydiver running around telling students he's shitting himself because he's he's got that weird feeling this particular day. <laughs> you know, you know, there as an AFF instructor, though, there is benefit in in uh, reassuring your students how how nervous or scared or terrified you were in those situations because you know when they look up to us as their instructor they they see this uh well-rounded confident um and and usually not always but popular person on the drop zone and and uh and you know sometimes that makes them more nervous but you know i think the responsibility of an aff instructor is not to teach someone to skydive it is but it's to lower their levels of fear and, com- sure. and, and comfort them and show them, you know, anything is possible. You just have to change, flip that switch in your mind and go to work when it's time and, and it'll come naturally. Like stop putting something between you and easy uh, performance because skydiving is not hard. Let's face it. I mean, oh, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, and and you've got a great point, and and uh, um, that was always one of the things that I've gotten comments on in regard to um, people listening to podcasts with individuals, high time guys, Omar Alhijalan, all these rock stars that are like, yeah, I was scared when I was learning how. People love hearing that because it humanizes their heroes and allows them to know I can do what that guy or girl is doing, which is great. And you and I had a very similar style as tandem instructors as well, because at least once or twice a week, you'd have a student that would be like, so like, I mean, yeah, it's dangerous, but it's not like we couldn't die or anything. And both of us are like, uh, fuck yeah. Yeah. We could die on this jump. Absolutely. And I was, I never pulled punches in that. You're always, you know, I was terrified to ever use the word safe because you don't want to give anybody false hope. The shit we do is dangerous. Right. The only thing that I would reassure them is I feel really good about this skydive. The weather conditions are absolutely great, if not perfect. Um, Can we die? Sure. But I don't feel like that's going to happen today. I can't guarantee you that, but I feel good about what we're about to do. And I've, you know, I, in my whole career, I, I probably have, I don't know, Dean, I, I didn't, like you, I stopped logging. I stopped buying log books because it's a waste of money after, after a certain amount of time. And, and I probably have about 7,000 tandems. Yeah. And um, in the entire time I did tandems, I never hurt one person ever, nice. never. Nice. Um, and I only had two people that completely said, nope. Do not push me out of this airplane. I am not doing this. And sure. and but we've had hundreds and hundreds that as you as you scoot toward the door were were definitely I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. You know, and you have like that brief window of opportunity to to tell them, A, you're not getting your money back. You might as well do it. If you think you want to do it, do it. B, here's how I feel. This is yep. a this is your this is it. We can't bring you back up again. And then they're like, okay, let's do it. You know, so yep. I never talked anybody into it, but reassuring them that that I feel it's as, as safe as we can make it. No, there's no guarantee, but I feel good. You know, sure. So, well, my yeah. my uh, my thing with that was uh, their mouth can be saying no, but if their body's still heading towards the door. Um, then we're probably going for a skydive and uh, knock wood. I took about 8,000 tandems and I never had a refusal. Although unlike you, I did break one student, but she kind of deserved it. So <laughs> <laughs> was um, she, uh, was, you know, was she of the round portion? 
She was, and she was uh, uh, extremely upset with how uncomfortable the harness was and didn't stop screaming at me the entire canopy ride. I had less than 100 tandems, and this was back on the old F-111 canopies, and she oh, got me so brutal. flustered that I forgot to pick up the the uh, flare toggles. And instead of just flaring early with what I had, I snatched for the flare toggles and still flared with one pair of toggles late. So I just, yeah. she sat on her own foot and I snapped her foot. Um, well, completely my fault, you know, absolutely my fault. Cause you should never let a student rattle you to the point where you're not doing your job. And I can put a lot of caveats to that. I mean, obviously there were many reasons why I fucked up, but I did fuck up, you know, uh, uh, again, the flip side to that was I, I never had a refusal um, because like you, you have to learn to play, you know, 30 second psychologist. What do I need to say and do to get this person confidently out of the plane? And you get good at it after a while. Right. I mean, you and I sat next to each other in the plane day after day, tandem after tandem with all different kinds of students. And you learn very quickly that they all kind of fall into a few categories. Um, there's variations of course, but you learn pretty fast how to deal with each type of personality to get the job done. And it it's nice. It's fun. Yeah. I, as you were, as you led into that personality comment there, I, I was actually thinking as an instructor, you have to be a chameleon and mm. you, ha you have to adjust to people. You cannot expect them to bend to your way, you know, and I see a lot of, I saw not anymore. 2020 was my last uh tandem 2018 i believe was my last full-time season mm. but um um i saw a lot of instructors along the way that never bent and never adjusted and just screamed and yelled at people or belittled them and made them feel you know horrible about their self them, themselves and their, the experience they're about to go through but I, I truly believe that you know a respect is the key in that in that uh, moment. And, um, you know, you, you just have to allow that person to go through whatever emotions and, and mindset that they're going through and, and just kind of nudge them along. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like you're their parent at the moment and you're trying to show them something amazing or, you know, and, and, you know, parents who just yell at their kids, they're, they don't ever learn a lesson. They sure. don't ever they don't ever come to a place where they can see what you're trying to say instead of just feel like you're, you know, putting them down. Sure. Know? So, um, especially with AFF, going back to AFF, there was my, my, my last home drop zone. So I did, I, I worked out, I'm not going to say the names of the places cause I don't want anyone to ever take offense to what I'm saying, but <laughs> I went, to, I left, when I left Davis, I went to a place in Sonoma County and I worked there for several years and it was a small little Cessna drop zone. So it was like, you know, just four or five of us. And, mm. and, uh, the owner of the drop zone was someone from Lodi and, uh, you know, the Lodi way it's, you know, pretty much, I, I can't say I know the Lodi way. I never jumped. There. I've been there a couple of times, but this particular person, when he did AFF, I could not believe the way he spoke to his students. He would, just belittle them and make them feel stupid. And right before the jump, sometimes like if you perform like you did on the last jump, you, you're just, you're out, you're not even coming back. Like instead of encouraging them in a way, you know, the first thing you do when you debrief a student, when you get down is you point out all the good shit they did before Absolutely. you try to correct any bad habits. Because if you start with the bad habits and you just launch into them, 
then you're just putting a wall in that person's brain and they're never going to perform at a level to save their own ass. You know? Absolutely. And, so, but I won't say names. I know you know who I'm fucking talking about. I may have an idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we, we ran in similar circles. So yeah, I may have an idea. Yeah. Now uh, we actually skipped by, uh, you got into the sport and you started doing the Tams and stuff. How quickly did you transition into working in the sport? And uh, um, were you like me? Were you just a workhorse or did you have a, a season or two of just pure fun jumping? So I made my first jump in 94 uh, tandem. And then in 1995, like six months after my tandem, maybe eight months after my tandem, I, uh, I from the moment I did my tandem, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to learn to skydive. Sure. I didn't, I, I didn't really realize right away that I wanted to become uh, a workhorse because that's what I was for most of it. But uh, in 95, I went to the AFF course. And then uh, from 95 till about 98, 97 or 90, 98, actually, um, I probably did 30 or 40 jumps a year. I, I didn't do much. And then, uh, although I wanted to, but it was expensive. I was, you know, I was a young kid. I was 20, 21 years old at the time, you know, figuring life out. And uh, I, uh, I had gone down to Gold Coast Skydivers in Mississippi and uh, I'm to visit my family because all my family was in Mississippi. At this time, I was living in Rhode Island. And um, uh, in 98, I got an invitation to go to the Mardi Gras boogie there, which was uh, a really cool event. And they were just a weekend drop zone. So I went down to the Mardi Gras boogie, but I went early. Um, I went early, like about two or three weeks before the boogie. And I went out to the drop zone and was going to, I would, I had just bought a camera. I had 101 jumps or a hundred <laughs> jumps. And I bought, and you know, those cameras at the time, I had an old Boreal ski helmet and I yep. had the, I had the big bulky digital eight camera with the big tapes, not the mini DVs. And, and, uh, here, there I was sitting on the bench connecting, um, the camera to the helmet. And I think at that point I had like two or three camera jumps because I was jumping in Danielson Woodstock in Connecticut. And uh, I bought the camera and mounted it and tried it out a couple of times there. And then I went to the boogie or was early for the boogie. And uh, this fella, Mike Igo, he's passed now, but uh, he, Mike Igo was the person that pushed me into, and I knew I wanted to take that route, but he's the, he, he gave me an opportunity that you don't see these days. Um, 101 jumps, 102 jumps, two jumps with the camera. I'm mounting it on the camera, the helmet. He comes walking around the corner. He said, you shoot video? And I'm like, uh, not exactly, but, but, uh, you know, I, I want to learn. And he said, he said, uh, you want to, you want to go jump with a tandem and shoot a tandem video? And I said, well, um, I don't want to pay for a jump ticket to go jump with a tandem, but I appreciate it. Cause I thought he was a tandem instructor. I didn't realize who he was. Right. Know? He goes, no, 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 no. I own the place. I'll put you on the plane for free. I'm like, free jump? Yeah, I'll go film a tandem. <laughs> he said, go with this person. And when you get down, don't even pack your rig. Come over and show me the video. So I did that. And, you know, I, I'm, I believe I'm fortunate. I know I'm fortunate with mind and body communication. Things sometimes come naturally to me or easier I don't build a wall. I never had the fear. I learned early not to fear things. And sure. so I, I landed and I went and showed him the video and he's like, that's not bad. Follow that guy. So it's okay. Follow the next one. And about three or four jumps later, he said, do you want a job? <laughs> and I said, 
a job? He said, yeah, you in three. He said, from the first time you filmed that tandem to this fourth one you just showed me, you're very, uh, you're ready. You you can do this. I know you can do this. And I, I said, I'll be right back. I walked over to my my bag, had my round trip ticket in it to go home. I walked back with the ticket, the like the boarding pass that I had printed, and I just tore it up in front of him and put it in his hand. I said, awesome. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> Dude, yeah. awesome. Yeah. And it was just a weekend drop zone. Um, so I was working. Uh, I had friends there. I used to live in Mississippi. My family lived there. So I was working, you know, weekdays until I transitioned into like, making enough money on the weekends to not work anymore sure and then uh, uh to take that a little further my tandem rating came to me through uh, a fella um ben crowell um he's passed away now he actually had a heart attack on a tandem oh, and wow. died in free fall which is ironic because my coach course director died the exact same way <laughs> um so don't ever teach me a course. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> but uh, uh, there, were, there, were, there was a fella at the drop zone uh, in Gold, at Gold Coast that didn't really like me. And I had gotten my, gotten my uh, coach course rating. And actually, I wasn't interested at all in becoming an instructor. I was, having, I was just shooting video. But Ben, ben came up to me and he said he's, he just got his tandem examiner rating. And he said, do you want to get your tandem rating? And I'm like, ah, I've never really thought about it. And he said, you're fucking getting it. You know why you're fucking getting it? Because I was speaking with so-and-so at the campground last night. And I said that you would make a really good instructor. And he just trash talked the shit out of you. So we're going to fucking, we're going to show him. So at the time I was broke. I was just working weekends. Just, you know, you know, the whole sky. I'm eating can of beans. That's all I got for dinner. You know yep. what I mean? And, uh, um, uh, so I was like, well, I, I can't really afford the coach course. He's like, I'm paying for that for you. Go over here and see. I can't remember the coach course director's name, but it was in Alabama. So I went and did the coach course. And then I got back and he basically gave me, I earned it. I didn't pay for anything, mm. nothing. He, he, he sponsored me, I should say, is the better way to put it for, for both ratings. And uh, yeah. that's basically when I started my career, basically, you know, the, 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 the tandem videos and the, tandems were the first of it and sure. then i got my aff rating in 2009 or something so well i mean you and i kind of came up in a generation that had opportunities like that right because i mean my first camera jump i ever made was with kevin love's camera helmet and the only reason i got to do that is because he was going to go do a four-away with the uh, gary spear that owned the wind tunnel in vegas um it was gary juliana c lou sanborn and kevin so it's D1, Juliana yeah. C, who was a badass skydiver and, you know, the owner of the wind tunnel. So it was a hell of a four-way. And I'm yeah. standing there with, I think I had 27 jumps. Um, and he's like, dude, here, this is what you do. You're going to go out on this Where's step. This circle? Yeah, absolutely. He's like, go out on this step. You're going to follow us out. So you're going to let go after we go. And you're going to fly above us until you can feel our bur burble with your fingers and stay there. And I'm like, uh, fuck it. You know, too stupid to know I shouldn't be doing that. And actually shot a good video. Um, and cut to about the same time you started shooting tandem videos. I got my first shot shooting a tandem video with Outlaw Skydiving in Gene, Nevada. Because uh, AJ Moeller, who owned that, just 
didn't give a fuck, man. I was, I was a warm body with a camera and he's like, yep, go, go to work. And that was it. That started my career. Uh, unlike you, I didn't want to get my tandem rating at all. I got forced into it uh, at the old Skydive Las Vegas because Michael Hawks told me, get your tandem rating or get the fuck out. And I was making a lot of money shooting video at the time. So I got it just to save my job and hated it for the first hundred jumps. Uh, and then through figuring out all the stuff that you and I know now, fell in love with doing tandems. It became my favorite way to to, to jump. Uh, for sure, for a number of reasons. One, because of the interaction with students, but two, because of the interaction that I'd have with instructors like you, because you and I had a fucking blast working together doing tandems. <laughs> I think they started separating us on the loads because we were probably having more fun than anybody. And, you know, a lot of people want to have that fun and join in, but some people are always, there's always those haters and jealous people out there. And, and, um, yep. Those types of people will try to rain on your parade. And you know what? We just launched umbrellas everywhere we went and we didn't care. We still had our fun, you know? Oh, man. I mean, uh, we would get on plane after plane and have uh, people laughing and having a good time. And and with only a few notable exceptions, it was always pretty well received by the students. I mean, I think we had like 98% of our students had an amazing time and maybe 2% we pushed a little too far. In fact, which is ironic because we accosted Buster the the the, the mannequin together. Well, I, <laughs> I, I still have a picture of uh, of us in a rather torrid threesome with Buster the Mythbusters mannequin in the back of a pickup truck. Yes, you will have to send that picture to me because I don't have any more. I I, uh, I only have two questions about that that joke though. A, you said it was a shitty joke. I'm 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 assuming that was a pun. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And uh, oh, I forgot the other question. That's okay. Moving on. But, yeah, yeah. It, it was it it was a it was a really good joke, but it's a horrible joke. Like it's not a it's yeah. Please go ahead. Oh, the other question was, did you give him the fifth point of attachment? <laughs> oh, see, see, we're falling back into it. We're falling back into uh, it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's yeah. hard not to when you reminisce. Reminiscing right? allows you to, to follow yeah. back into the pieces, you know, the places. Yeah. Well, and it's you know, it was kind of funny. I had a, a few years back, I had Hannah Betts on the uh, the podcast, and Hannah Betts is this badass uh, stunt woman and an amazing skydiver, and really just an incredible representative of the women in our sport. And we got talking about um, the disparagement between men and women in the sport. And and I had admitted that I hadn't seen a lot of that because I always had a, an opinion that women in the sport were generally a badass. But that also kind of made me blind to the real issues that are out there. And she had a great response, which was something along the lines of, well, you're learning. You know, that's all we can expect is yeah, everybody's going to make mistakes and do and say stupid things um, that are guided by the times in the culture with which they're brought up. Um, it's the ability to start to realize that some of the stuff you were doing was pretty shitty looking back, you know, so I still laugh at, at that uh, situation, but it's one of those cringing laughs like, oh, my God, can't believe I did that, <laughs> you know. And yep. you learn, you learn, yep. you could never get away with that kind of shit these days, nor should you be able to, you know, if a tandem instructor pulled the kind of crap that you and I used to do on a very regular basis, they'd be fired in five seconds flat. Yeah. Well, that all goes back to growing as a person. I mean, sure. that, 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 that's, uh, 
you can either choose to grow as a person or you can be forced to grow as a person, but we all grow as people somehow. And, and, you know, there's negative growth too. Like you can go the wrong direction in life. And, um, you know, fortunately some of the lessons that probably both of us have learned have, have, has, uh, maybe opened our eyes to certain things or whatever. And, and, it all comes down to respecting people. We never meant to, we never intended to disrespect anybody. No. One of the, one of the biggest reasons that I was a clown on the plane was because you have to drop the guard of the person that's about to jump your tandem student. That is for two reasons. They'll enjoy it more. And most importantly, if they drop their guard, they're less likely to fucking do something stupid and kill you, you <laughs> yep. know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I did that a lot for myself so that, so that, you know, I try to relax the folks, you know, if you see somebody super scared, well, you don't really joke with them. You do it in a different way. You try to calm them and, and connect sure. them in a way that, that is comforting. Sure. Yeah, if people are having fun, you go with it and you have fun. And, and uh, sometimes we had a little more fun. Most of the time we had a little more fun, but, you know, looking back at it in, in hindsight, it's, I think you should have just a little bit less fun than the person that's connected to you so that sure. you're not overriding their, their experience. But. Well, one of the things that I found um, that you're and I uh, having horseplay in the aircraft did is it first off, it flew through the time in the aircraft, which gave the students a lot less time to dwell on what was coming because they were too busy interacting with us. Most of the time, our jokes being a lot more uh, respectful than that particular instance. Um, but we also knew when it was time to get serious. So we would always joke back and forth, but you'd hit that eight or 10,000 foot mark when we start getting geared up. And then both of us would lock into our student. All right, here's what's going on. Here we go. All right. And don't forget, uh, it's only 11 o'clock. And in my book, everybody has lunch, you know, all those little fun jokes that you let them know, hey, in all seriousness, I've got 6,000 tandems. I've got a lot of experience doing this. I think this is going to be a great jump. You're going to have a blast. So right. you knew when to shift gears. Or if, like you're saying, you have that person that's really teetering on the edge, then the joking goes away. And it's literally either you keep your mouth shut and let them deal with what they're dealing with, or you're the comforting whisper in their ear saying, look, I've been doing this a long time. This is all good. Your cameraman right there is a badass. He's been doing this a long time, or she has been doing this a long time. And so you you learn to gauge those students accordingly, of course. Right. Of right. Course. Definitely. Yep. And, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with having fun as a tandem instructor, because if you sit there and don't speak to them and you you appear to not be having a good day or, you know, you are too cool to speak to them because there's a lot of too cool instructors out there. There's a lot of instructors out there that are too cool to talk to fun jumpers yep. or interact with people that are not at their level, which completely annoys the shit out of me. Oh, yeah. Um, that's worse than maybe having a little more fun than, than they expected you to have, in my opinion, you know? Sure. So, no, yeah. I agree. Well, and it also makes them nervous too. If your instructor's having a bad day, you know, what's next, <laughs> you know, this person doesn't like me. I'm attached to them. What are they going to do to me in free yeah, fall? Yeah, for let sure. Me go or, you know, and, 
of course, we always make those horrible tips, uh, those horrible uh, comments. No tip, no clip. Come on now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah but... or, you know, don't let me be the last thing that runs through your mind. Or, right, right, right. Well, and you, you learn to gauge those with the students that you've got, too, because there's the ones that are going to find that funny and think, well, there's no way this guy's going to be joking around about dying if he really thinks we're going to die. And then there's right. the ones where you don't want to say boo too loud or they're out the door. <laughs> Right. Or or the classic female that has her claws embedded in your legs for for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes on the plane ride the whole time. And you're you have to go home and explain that to your significant other. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Well, and then there were, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because you have so many random things that will happen on a drop zone. For you and I, we would have Jim Matthews would uh, come stumbling into the gear room on crutches or this cast or this is wrapped up and or this is bandaged. And you have to look at them and go, yeah, that's one of our instructors. One of our instructors. <laughs> I think if you're on the IR list, the injured reserve list, you should stay the fuck home. <laughs> right. Right. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. You know, the reality of of, of gravity, uh, it wins every time, regardless if it's a soft touchdown or a hard one. It you does. Know? And every, it does. everybody knows this. So the technology in the sport, even when I got into it in 94, 90, 95 is I guess when I should say I really got into it. But uh even since the, the early 90s, the technology in the sport is has been amazing and just does nothing but progress. And, yep. you know, I'm not going to say it's foolproof, but but uh, uh, God, I'm, I'm glad I didn't learn in, in the 60s and 70s or whenever it was that it was, you know, breaking people left and right. You know? Oh, yeah. No, no, I completely agree. Um, hey, speaking of, of broken people on Skydance, were you there for the guy that jumped off the top of the hangar? I was not there, but I heard all about it. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, uh, what, what was he saying? I can fly. I can fly. And then he broke well, both ankles. He's the one that, uh, um, after he graduated AFF, said he uh, never wanted to cut away and use his reserve because it was too expensive to repack. So he decided he would just track to the power lines, take his belt off and rope the power lines and stop that way. And somebody asked him, well, how are you going to get down from the power lines? They're 40 feet up. And his response was, well, I'll just PLF. Now, this is when he was drunk, uh, you know, around the bonfire on a Saturday night. And next thing you know, he's yelling at us from the top of the hangar, um, screaming, watch this. And, of course, he jumps off and just drills himself in in the gravel next to the door. And I I think he walked like six months later because he broke everything below the waist. Golf clubs or a bowling ball. Yeah, go, right. go, to another, go, go to another sport. You know, that reminds me of a fella, a really good person i don't know if you i think this is before you came to davis but there was this kid named chase from he was from tahoe he he and another buddy of his would come out and they were learning aff and they progressed and got their a license and maybe like 50 jumps or something and and uh, and even in aff if you had a cutaway you had to pay for the fucking reserve pack which is stupid and uh, so this fellow named Chase, he, you know, it took all he had to come out and make four or five jumps over a weekend once or twice a month, you know, and he re- and, and and before I go further, but th- that type of activity of a DZO, it 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 turns good people away from the sport. It turns people away from the sport. And unfortunately, sometimes those are really good additions to the drop zone. And, mm. and when you do that, you're you're weakening your ability to to invite good folks and make a good family but uh chase had a cutaway in aff and responded very well and then 
when he was learning to jump, I think he was going for his A license and he was paying a Packer all this time. And then uh, a Skydance Packer, mind you. Mm. And uh, uh, then he had another malfunction and cut away. And he's like, man, fuck this shit. Every time I fucking make a jump, it costs me $65 extra to do a reserve pack. What is it? I didn't even pack the rig. Why am I responsible for this? So guess what? He had a fucking line over. And what did he do? He landed. He didn't cut away because he didn't want to pay for the pack job. And that, you know, A, that was stupid you know, find a way to pay for the pack job. But more importantly, what are you putting in these people's minds as a new jumper before they decide whether or not to, to pull that red handle, you know, and, sure. and save their ass. Cause he could have, he could have died or broken both of his legs. Fortunately, he was on like a 280 and he landed with a slow spin. And, right. you know, and if it was a, a 220 or, a, or, you know, something smaller, you know, it probably wouldn't have been okay. He just kind of dusted off and walked away, fortunately, but sure. So, well, and as I, as I say, never blame the Packer for what you get. I'm remembering, and you might remember this when I was doing tandems, I had a rash of cutaways. Um, And it was when the, they had hired the two kids uh, to come out and pack the two college kids that weren't jumpers. Uh, I don't think that either of them had ever made a skydive and they got hired as packers. They taught them how to pack tandems and put them on the map. Um, and they were shitty packers. They just weren't any good. And this kid kept packing me just neck breakers and uh, a couple of cutaways. And on uh, uh, one of my last ones, he packed me um, just one of the hardest openings I had ever had um, with something that I had to chop. I chopped the thing. I go back into the hangar just fuming mad and i throw the rig down and i pick up the canopy and i ball up the canopy and throw it down on the ground and look at him and i said put that shit in the fucking container just like it is and it's going to be better than the shit you've been packing me and then i told him you know something fuck this you're going on a jump because he had never made a jump and so i made him do a tandem with me on one of his pack jobs best fucking opening i'd ever had (laughs) i was so mad yes Man, I was <laughs> I was so tempted to cut that good canopy away just to prove a point, but I'm looking at it was such a beautiful opening. I'm like, you motherfucker. I can't. <laughs> you know, as you speak about cutaways, you told me a story one time and uh I and I too went through a slew of cutaways with those with those kids. I had two in one fucking day. <laughs> or maybe no, two in two in one week. I'm sorry, two in one week. And uh I have a I have an A license in cutaways in reserve yep. rides because of them. <laughs> and uh but you had told me a story one time, you're like, you told this guy, look up, I don't like the color red, and you chopped. And so every time I had a cutaway forever after that, like I was trying to remember to do this, but you go through normal procedure and you're not worried about making a joke at that point, right? Right. But when those boys were packing, I had so many in a row that I'm like it just became second nature to fucking reach for that cutaway handle and, and release and pull the, the reserve. And so finally I was going for it. I'm like, Oh wait, look up, dude, look up. He wouldn't look up. And I finally screamed, look up. And I said, I don't like that color parachute and cutaway. And this dude, he was one of those macho and it couldn't have been a better student. He was one of the, our tandem pastor. He was one of those macho guys that I'm not afraid. And he just, 
yelled with terror for <laughs> ah, 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 and, and i'm like look up we got a functioning parachute it's okay <laughs> and he's like you really didn't like the car i'm like no dude we got a problem i wouldn't i wouldn't do that I'm like that's silly you know so but i tried so many i think i went through about four cutaways five cutaways before i actually remembered to do it yeah so, yeah we had some interesting yeah. stuff out there i mean well you and i actually got to do um and this still this is still a fucking a sore point for me. We got to do Mythbusters together, which was super cool. We were still. You're gonna say. Of course you're gonna say. Of course you do. Dan, I get an interview and this and that and tandem buddy. Tandem buddy, <laughs> goddamn motherfuckers. And the setup was Mythbusters is gonna come out to Skydance and they're trying to break the uh, um, the Point Break myths. So it's can you talk in free fall? Um, can you have a 90 second skydive from 4,500 feet? And can you catch somebody if you leave 15 seconds after? Well, I ended up being chosen as the tandem instructor and you're shooting video, but what they're going to do before anything else is they're going to throw Buster. And for anybody that doesn't know the show, they had this crash dummy that they would do all the really dangerous stuff with. So they brought this crash dummy out to see if you could have a 90 second free fall from 4,500 feet, which of course everybody knows you can't, but they're trying to prove a point. So we chucked Buster out of the plane at 4,500 feet over the landing area with no parachute and just let him go in. But it took ages and I forget what was going on with their, um, their production manager, but she was just an asshole. Um, and I forget what she was telling everybody to do. And I think I told her to go fuck herself. I'm like, you know something? Go fuck yourself. We're not doing this bullshit. Well, then cut to we did the jump with you and I where um, you were the one trying to talk to Grant Imahara in free fall to see if he could hear the words. Uh, and of course, he couldn't. And then uh, uh, Nicholas Anderson jumped in and did the catch up after 15 seconds. And I took both tandems. And then the fucking show comes out and everybody's together watching the show. You got the full interview, your name's there, Dan, this and that. And they just labeled my ass as tandem fucking buddy. Cause I, <laughs> cause I told that producer to go uh, fuck herself. Uh, that those were some good times, but, but you know, uh, back to the owner of Skydance. <laughs> he is so stubborn about spotting. If he was ever flying, don't tell me how to spot. Remember that? tell me how to spot we are all standing there and and the, the it took two takes for buster remember yep the, they they did a low pass and flew him over the landing area just to get the landing shot because the owner fucked up the spot and almost put buster through a house we're all just standing <laughs> well it was not as close as we thought because he came in behind the house and we were on one side and right you're not allowed to talk while they're filming and we're all just standing there on the side going <laughs> oh, my god. oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god get a chase truck and go see if that hit that fucking house and then uh i don't i don't know if ray felt stupid but i don't know that he ever argued a tan or a, 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 a an instructor's <laughs> light commands at the door anymore or any of that but he probably did that man was so stubborn you know and it was, he was uh... like it, I, all I could imagine was, could you imagine if you were the owner of the house and Buster comes crashing through your roof? Because <laughs> a bunch of those bubblegum looking beads everywhere. Yeah, yeah. How how did we end up doing the picture of, because we, we fully buggered 
buster in the back of a pickup truck because we had to go collect his dead body off the landing area. And we ended up taking pictures of us taking turns pulling a train on buster. We just, we, when they launched him into the landing area from that like 800 foot low pass, we just went and picked him up and threw him in the truck and we were going back to the hangar and I'm like, get that side, we're gonna get this boy. <laughs> you know, I specifically remember now why I decided we, I, I had to nail Buster because, and you'll remember this, uh, Carrie Byron was out there. And Carrie Byron was the beautiful redhead that was part of the show. And when we Smoking finished hot. the. Oh, yeah. When we finished the entire day, we were all out at the bar and Carrie and I were flirting and Ray got mad and he sent me in the pack 750 to he made me take the plane to the uh, um, the shop that night to get me away from Carrie. And he and I have even talked about this since um, because he's he thinks it's hilarious that he did this. And so, so you and I had it at Buster because I'm like, well, at least I got to say I have carnal knowledge of one of the Mythbusters. <laughs> yeah, so, it, silliness, man. <laughs> you know, Ray, Ray, again, we spoke about this before we started this podcast, but I, I don't, I don't, I do my best not to trash talk people these days. And, and, but truth be told, Ray was definitely hypocritical in a lot of situations. Like, don't flirt with students. Don't flirt with this and that. You can't. You can't date a student until they have an A license. If I, I may be incorrect, but I think, didn't he marry someone he taught the skydive? Oh, like, dude, you should uh, remember this from the Christmas party. So, um, it was. I don't. You actually may have been in the staff meeting, which was my first staff meeting. So we're all in the training room, and Ray is running over all the rules. And I think it was rule number five was don't date students and i'm the brand new guy but i'm such a fucking smart ass that i hold up my hand and he's like what i'm all does fucking them um (laughs) is is that considered dating and he's like jesus christ who the fuck did i just hire um (laughs) cut to the christmas party that same year and ray's given a speech it was either ray or neil was given a speech and and asked everybody who'd broken rule number five to hold up their hands and the entire fucking party held up their hands because half of the couples that were there met on the drop zone you know i mean it, it, well, just, else you, when you're there five to seven days a week what well, it's your entire life it's your yeah. it's not just your job it's your lifestyle and it's everything you have and what do you i mean you yeah. know you go grocery shopping sometimes but like come on you, you meet everybody you meet is at the drop zone Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, (laughs) and it's kind of funny. uh, uh, Ray Ray's actually been on the podcast, and and Ray and I have kept in touch over the years. And and uh, I tell the story about um, when I got hired with Ray. He actually had an interview with me, and I had been working for Michael Hawks in Vegas for a number of years. And so he's looking at my little bullshit CV, and he's like, "Oh, you worked you worked at uh, Skydive Las Vegas?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I was there for two years." He's all then you you know how to work for. Uh, for tough guys, um, you know, hard asses. And, and uh, so in my mind, I'm like, roll the dice. Cause this is the guy that's either going to love you or hate you. And my response to the question was Ray, if you are twice the asshole, everybody says you are, you're still only half the asshole. Michael Hawks was. And he looked at me and you could tell, he's like, do I fucking hate this guy or do I love him? And he laughed, shook my hand and said, welcome to the team. Nice. <laughs> you know, Sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in now <clears throat> and and the experiences that I've, I've had over life, I respect Ray a lot for for 
you know, having me on the team for as many years as I was there. And I completely understand, you know, your business is your baby. And if you don't protect your baby, then, then you're just reckless and you don't give a crap. You don't give a shit about what you're doing. So did I like everything? Did I, did I like sitting in his office every time I was there? No, you know, and I'm sure we both knew his office very well and Neil's office very well. Oh yeah. Um, But uh you know, if Ray Farrell ever hears this, which, you know, uh, probably not. And if he does, then oh, you know, I just want to, I just want to tell him, thank you for all the opportunities. I, I, right. I respect him. I respect everything. His decisions are his decisions. It is his business. And, oh, yeah, right. you know, he- I don't, I don't skydive anymore. I run a little business and I work by myself because uh, I don't want to have to deal with someone saying something or doing something to one of my clients that, that I'm going to have to explain. And, and at sure. the end of the day, it, you know, I respect every decision he made, whether I agree with it or not. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's kind of funny because obviously when we were working there, first off, uh, skydivers, at least our generation of skydiver, we're a bunch of fucking children. You know, I mean, we were literally the most irresponsible, responsible people on the planet, which is bizarre because you're responsible for other people's lives, but you can barely tie your own fucking shoes because um, we were we did some stupid fun shit and it was a lot of fun. But and, I, and Ray knows this. I, I love Ray to death, but working for him was tough. I mean, he was a hard ass. That being said, he was a hard ass because he had to work with people like us. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was uh, um, it's the, the fucking snake eating its own tail. Right. It's just which one causes what are DZOs crazy because they got to work with skydivers or are skydivers wild and out of control because they got to deal with DZOs. <laughs> Yeah. Well, someone's got to throw a roadblock up for, for, for certain things. And, and if there are no, uh, if there's, um, if there's no consequences for your actions, well, your actions just get worse and worse and worse. Oh yeah. And, And when your actions get worse and you become, you know, this reckless person, well, now safety is jeopardized. Sure. And, and, you know, I have one regret with doing tandems and fortunately the person did not get hurt but i got into this pattern where i'm doing 45 degree toggle whips in now i'm doing 90 degree toggle whips in now i'm doing 180 degree toggle whips in with my tandems and i would always see ray stand there and watch and when i surfed him and swooped him out and skimmed the pea gravel and and uh and uh high five them and the dust cleared i'd see ray standing there and he'd turn around and walk away never said anything well, one day my approach to the peas got lower and lower and lower and I did a 180 whip and we thumped in so fucking hard in the peas. I just can't believe the person didn't get hurt, you know, mm. and I regret that I was completely embarrassed and humiliated because, sure. you know, <clears throat> I'm not one to toot my own horn, but I, I could fly a parachute well and I still can. And I, 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 I feel like my, my landings, uh, my high performance landings were, were pretty good. And, sure. and, uh, you know, but you're not invincible and you can make mistakes at no matter, no matter what the level you're at, you can make a mistake. Oh yeah. And it's from that. And then, you know, uh, one of the instructors who liked to go and tell on everybody went straight. I saw him run. I thought he was running because we needed, needed medical assistance, but he wasn't, he was running to go tell Neil what had just happened. And then I gather the canopy and I see Neil standing there. He does the, the Neil yeah. Wotham thing where come to my office. Yep. And uh, he's like, no more. I'm like, understood. 
Yep. I'm not going to argue that one bit. I fucked up and we're lucky that we didn't break four legs on that jump. So, sure. um, you know, if we didn't have 18 inches of pea gravel and I didn't hit the pea gravel, it would have been a whole different story. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, there were a few circumstances like that. And, and uh, I'll tell you that the one that, uh, kind of flipped my uh, opinion of Ray a lot was when I started flying for him. Cause he put me in the pack 750 right when I hit a thousand hours. First off, he was the first one to hire me as a jump pilot in the little 172 that he flew. And then as soon as I hit a thousand hours, he put me in the pack 750. And as you know, the pack 750 is a fun plane, um, certainly to fly. Uh, and there were many, many times that you were just off of my left wing um, as you're rolling out on a tandem and I'm diving like a bat out of hell. Oh Yeah. And uh, um, I'll never forget, you remember Amy, the fun jumper that used to work for the FAA? Yeah. So she yep. had shot a bunch of pictures and she made a, a CD for me and labeled the CD Dean's Badass Flying Skills and left it on the pilot desk. Well, of course, uh, yeah. Who goes in and finds that CD? But Ray. Yeah. Uh... I have no idea that there is even a CD and I get called into Ray's office and I'm like, well, the plane's done. The paperwork was right. I don't know what I could have done. And of course, this is when I'd gotten very comfortable in flying the pack. And uh, he puts the CD. I don't see the CD, puts it in the computer, turns the computer screen and shows a series of pictures of me in perhaps a slightly aggressive descent after a tandem. And uh, he's like, uh, you got the pictures, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And his response was, you don't need to do that again then, do you? And I went, no. And he went, have a nice, <laughs> have a nice day and just let me go out of the office. And that's when I'm like, okay, he gets it. He <laughs> understands. Um, he, he knew this was coming. Uh, he's now caught me red-handed. And instead of being pissed off and screaming and yelling, he just kind of took a deep breath and went, all right, he knows. And it was great. You know, and Neil did the same thing. Neil was really, really good about chastising people and, and getting us to stop doing stupid shit without resorting to screaming and yelling and all that. And in that way, those were two great guys to work with. You know, Ray would scream and yell at the stupid stuff. Um, but when it came to something serious, he'd take a deep breath and go, all right, I need to handle this, which was great. Yeah. I think the difference between Ray and Neil, and, and two things there, <clears throat> I think the difference between Ray and his pilot relations and Ray and his instructor relations was a, it's a lot harder to fucking replace your pilot in a pinch. Right. So he's going to, he's going to, he would from the outside view anyway, I think his relationship with the pilot was probably uh, um, a lot more respectable because sure. you're, you're flying his million dollar aircraft or a million and a half dollar aircraft or whatever it is. Right. And then the difference between Ray and, and Neil is Ray was the guy who looked over his glasses at you stern and Neil would laugh it off with you. If, if it was a laughable situation, he'd yeah. be laughing until you don't fucking do that again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it'd be the difference of being disciplined between mom and dad. You know sure. what I mean? So, well, and um, Neil was also out there doing it with us too. I mean, he was he was a, a a fantastic AFF instructor, really good with his students, and just super mellow. Um, he was just a kind of a good old boy, um, and really really uh, easy to work with in that respect. So, um, I think between the two of them, it was like working with mom and dad, right? right. <laughs> and exactly. you'd always 
you'd always play one off of the other. You're like, fuck, I got in trouble with dad. I go, I, I'm going to go keep mom happy. So she keeps me from getting in too much trouble. <laughs> yep. I tell you, the last person you want to piss off on that drop zone, though, was Neil. Because if you did, you're, you got all the shit work. Oh, yeah. You got the, you, you got the, the, the 249 Butterball. You got the, you know, the, the meth head whose, whose teeth, were so rotten it, it it was you could smell them in free fall and uh like you know what i'm saying you got oh, yeah. any anyone who's a tandem instructor knows that your 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 passenger makes a difference like you either are going to have a good time with them or you want to unclip them and get the fuck away when it's over you yep. know yep yep so, yeah. yeah you definitely uh, uh you don't want to piss off management or manifest <laughs> or manifest oh my god Donna, Donna is a whole nother story. Like she, you know, toward the end there, she actually treated me with respect and liked me for some reason. I don't know why that was, but, uh, I I think we were, we, we had a lot of longevity at that drop zone and we, we saw a lot of comings and goings and, and, uh, um, you know, for, for all our faults, we fit in pretty well and did the job really well. Um, so you know, I mean, it it goes a long way, right? When you're keeping the customers happy, it's a it's a little bit easier to to piss off the staff when you got happy customers, you know, because you got people right. still coming back for more. You know, if you have a complaint every now and again, but the majority is that guy was amazing and so much fun and this and that. That 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 seems like it's a lot more acceptable than just the person who never gets any comments at all, like. Did sure. you have fun? Yeah, it was okay. Well, what do you mean it was okay? Well, my instructor just was kind of boring or whatever. Sure. And, well, know, we, so. we worked with one at, at uh, uh, Skydance for a while that just was very bland and, and uh, um, just w- wouldn't seem to loosen up no matter how much you tried to involve them in the fun. And it, it, it was a drain on it, right? I mean, Absolutely. At, at least fake a smile, you know, pretend you're having a good day so that the people that are paying a whole lot of money and putting, you know, their lives in your hands are uh, at least thinking you're enjoying what you do. Uh, I think right. the difference was you and I really enjoyed what we did. And this particular instructor, I don't think they enjoyed it. I think I know exactly what you're talking about, but I think that particular instructor, he, I think he jumped scared a lot. Sure. Honestly. Well, we've seen that. Scared. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being a tandem instructor is kind of like being a comedian, honestly, because back to the whole having the guard either up or down with your student is protecting you or not protecting you as an instructor in your job. But, uh, you can't be a comedian without a comedian without offending someone eventually, honestly. For sure. You know? Yeah. Well, you're so. gonna you're gonna step on toes. You're gonna say something that's uh, uh, inappropriate to someone. And I mean, let's face it, everybody. Granted, not as at least it didn't seem like it was as much back when we were working together. But people still walk around looking for excuses to be offended. Um, yeah. And if you if you come into an environment like a drop zone where people tend to be a little over the top, and and let's face it, skydiving attracts some pretty intense personalities. If you're this type of person that uh, goes looking to be offended, a drop zone's a great place to do it. Like, oh, you, absolutely. It, it's going to take you two minutes to find something or someone that's pissed you off. Uh, and it was one of the things that I think for certain me, and I think you as well, embrace the sport and the people in it because they were the type that didn't really give a fuck if you were offended by what they had to say, you know, because you get to say exactly what you want as well. Now, that being said, 
today's skydiving world um, is becoming more and more mainstream and more and more corporate. And the personalities are having to be turned down. Uh, and I agree with that completely if you're working in the sport. If you're a fun jumper, man, go balls to the wall. Be yourself 100%. If you're a staff member in the sport, I think it's appropriate these days to dial it back until you're on your own time. Agreed. Yeah. You know, you know and th that all comes back to you. I, I don't know if you asked me this question pre-record or after you hit record, but you would ask me <clears throat> if I was just a workhorse or – if I, you know, indulged in fun and that swayed back and forth, honestly, mm. when I was at Skydance, I was in a particular situation where I was a homeowner and um, I got in at peak market and, you know, my mortgage was $2,700 a month. And this was back in 2005, six, seven and eight and nine, where that's a pretty high mortgage at that point, you oh, know, yeah. and, um, and, uh, so I really didn't do much fun jumping at all. Like I, the plane was tied down. I was in my truck going home, you know, yep. and I didn't spend, I didn't spend money back at the drop zone. Not kind of not by choice, but almost like I, I can't spend any of this money. If I want to skydive for a living, I have to pinch pennies and I have to, you know, and that that's one of the sad things about the sport isn't, I think it's changed a little bit. Um, $25 a jump to go, and I'm not going to say risk your life because we didn't look at it as a, we didn't look at it as a sure. risk, but it, it is risking your life for $25 a jump. So, you know, it's $25 an hour. Basically you, you're going to do maybe two jumps every, every hour and 20 minutes, every hour and 40 minutes or whatever. By the time you, you, you gear up, get on the plane, take the plane ride, jump, land, run in, gear up again, get back on the plane. You know, you're, you're probably making, 25 to $35 an hour. Sure. And, and, you know, it's just one of those situations where I regret not being able to fun jump more. And sometimes I did, but my last full-time season that I, I worked and lived at the drop zone in, in Skydive, New England, in Maine, Lebanon, Maine, which is an amazing place, good community. Everyone lived in the campgrounds. Most everyone lived in the campgrounds and man, I had no bills hardly. I just paid lot rent and I had my truck note and my insurance and, and my cell phone and just minimal things. And man, I was swooping that pond every chance I got. I was fun jumping, doing, doing free fly jumps with friends because there was a plethora of amazing, talented people. And you just, that's the one regret I have is not being able to sponge up all that knowledge and information and, and talent that was around me all the time. So. Sure. Sure. I'm lucky that uh, um, the last few years that I was flying in Dubai, I had the opportunity to do a lot more fun jumping than I'd done in previous years because I had stopped fun jumping for quite some time. But I was very lucky in that I had so many years working, especially with guys like you, that I had so much fucking fun doing what I did that when people asked me if I fun jumped, my response very sincerely was, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? Like, yeah, I'm I'm taking a tandem, but I'm having a blast doing what I'm doing and I'm getting paid for it. So, right. and not to mention at the end of a, a six or eight or 10 jump day, I'm fried, you know, tandems or AFF is exhausting. Um, so the idea of sticking around to get on the sunset load was just not even, not even a thought. And then when I'm I cracking start a beer. 
Absolutely. Well, and then when I started flying, I was flying the airplane. So that was it. I never got to jump because I was the chief and only pilot. (laughs) You know, there was nobody. But again, I had no regrets because all of those tandems, all of those fun times and God, load after load of side splitting fun with the instructors and students was my fun jumping. And I was never going to be the best swooper. I was never going to be the best free flyer. Um, But I considered myself a damn good tandem instructor and really enjoyed my time. Um, And it was, again, specifically because I got to jump with guys like you. Oh, man, I appreciate that. You you don't have to be the best at everything to have good quality experience in that in that department, whether it's free flying, swooping or you know, uh, at the end of the day, as a tandem instructor, it's really about getting that passenger safely to the ground with a good experience. Sure. And, and I feel like 95% of the time that was something I obtained, you know, every now and again, we offended somebody or, you know, God forbid you were single and you said the wrong thing to a passenger or, and then when you do, it's like, spreads across the the drop zone like wildfire and you're all of a sudden this piece of shit and garbage and you did this or you did that and then by the time the truth develops into the story that everybody tells it's like wow well that's not exactly how it happened but yeah i can see how someone could think that person's a piece of shit at this point yeah but that's not exactly how it happened so yeah yeah For sure. No, I completely agree. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, skydiving is filled with a bunch of people and we're all fallible. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does stupid shit. And we're not everybody's flavor. Uh, I, I know there are people that fucking hate my guts and probably for good reason. And I know there are people that really like me. I'm not everybody's flavor, nor what I want to be. Right. You know, and there's people out there that I don't particularly care for. The difference is, and I think you're the same way. I don't have to like like you to work with you and I don't have to like you to show you respect. Um, and I'd like to think that uh, overall in my career, even with the jumpers and or uh, staff and pilots that I didn't like, I at least showed them respect. Um, and if I didn't, I'm certainly trying to make up for that as that I get older in the sport and uh, be better at making sure that even if I don't care for you, I'm, I'm going to you know give you the respect that you deserve. Agreed. Yeah. And that comes back to personal growth, whether sure. whether you're a skydiver or, you know, in the corporate world or no matter what you're what you do in life, it's, <clears throat> you know, there's a game you play in life. And this doesn't mean you're uh, a fake person, but the sooner you learn how to interact with people and, and you know, kind of give them what they want or what they expect or to go against if you can either go against the grain in situations or you can go with the grain in situations and the quicker you learn to go in the with the grain in situations the more successful you'll be at that path that you're walking you oh, know? For sure. and that doesn't mean you don't stand up for yourself when it's appropriate that doesn't mean you become a fake person and you just uh tell people what they want to hear you know I, I, it's not literal when i say you know you give people what they want but when you're performing a service or a job or whatever, you have to, you have to, it has to be, they're paying you money. You have to perform at their standards. You have sure. to, you know, uh, communicate at their standards and, and, you know, you can't change who you are as a person, but you definitely, you know, respect is the only way to, 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 um, 
you know, walk that path in, in a way sure. that doesn't go against the grain. You know? Well, at the, at the end of the day, it's their game, it's their rules, and you either play by their rules or you find another game. It's right. just that simple, right. which is good. Right. Now, as we yeah. wrap things up, I want to, especially because you've kind of retired from the sport, um, what advice do you have to people that have been jumping for a long time? They're like you and they're starting to wonder, is it time for me to get out of the sport? What was it that made you decide to, obviously you haven't broken ties. I'm a firm believer that once a skydiver, you're a skydiver for life, even if you're not jumping. Uh, but what made you step back from the sport and what advice do you have uh, to anyone that might be thinking about following in your footsteps? Um. <clears throat> A big part of me stopping skydiving was two things, really. Um, I'm getting older. You know, I can't do this forever, obviously. Um, I have other talents in life that I can build off of. And COVID was a big part of me quitting skydiving. Um, mm. Not because I was afraid of COVID, but because we all got shut down. Sure. And there was no there was no way to make money. So I had to rely on my other talents. I'm a carpenter. I do construction. Like I, I, I'm pretty good with tools and I, I can build things. And so I started a little business and when it came time to go back to skydiving, I'm like, well, you know, I made a hundred grand this year doing this. And I, I, I make my own schedule and I go to work when I want to. And, and, you know, I pick and choose my clients and, you know, I don't know that I want to go back to skydiving and why would I give up what I've created? You sure. know? So that was part of it. And part of me was sad to, to make that decision for sure. Cause once a skydiver, always a skydiver, that's definitely true. Um, but, uh, you know, truth be told, Dean, as I got, as I get older and as I was getting older, uh, as an instructor, I noticed certain things that, you know, uh, maybe I'm not as good at this as I used to be. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm starting to get a little bit, scared of certain things sure maybe i'm maybe i'm done playing the lottery maybe sure. maybe i'm gonna hurt somebody and and you know i'm not gonna say i was flooded and overwhelmed with fears but the second you question your ability you sure. should fucking quit doing it because yeah. you're not just you're not just risking your own life you're risking another life sure so when i started noticing those things you know i, I was like i think it's time for me to exit I've never heard a person doing this ever in my entire career. Um, and I don't want to change that stat. I don't sure. want to, not just about my own stats, but, you know, of course we have ego and, and, and uh, I don't want to hurt anybody. Sure. I don't want to die doing this. I want to, be, I want to become an old man. I don't want to break myself. I've been broken plenty of times with my sure. own, my own activities in the sport, you know, swooping or whatever, learn the hard way back when we didn't have swoop coaches and, so, but if I could give some advice to someone who's looking to take a career, make a career in skydiving, it'd, it'd be a couple, it'd be a few pieces of advice. It, it would be um, set goals for yourself, put some timelines up there, um, know how to play the game and don't go against the grain. Um, know when to exit, as, at least as an instructor, sure. because it's not about you really. I mean, yeah, we had all that fun, but it, it, in the back of our minds, we all know this jump's not about us. We're just trying to, we're just trying to give this person an experience that, 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 that they'll never forget, you know, sure. in a valuable way. So no one to exit doesn't mean you have to quit skydiving. Um, and, you know, think about your future because I don't know about anymore, but it, 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 it 
was kind of difficult to make a, a future out of skydiving as far as financial and retirement and all these things. And here I am, you know, I'm 48, about to be 49, and I'm no closer to retirement than when I first started fucking skydiving. Right. And now I go to work every day. I literally work six and seven days a week right now running a business. And there's some hope for it. I can see the growth of my business and I'm building a good clientele, but you know, 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 know that your future is the most important thing you have. If you don't plan on getting old, then just keep doing it. But sure. I never thought I was going to get old either. And here right. I am. I'm right. be 50 in a year and a half, you know? Yeah. So those would be the biggest pieces of advice and always respect the team you work with because, you know, one bad apple ruins the bunch and that's the damn truth. Sure. You know? Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, the only thing worse than having to work with a bad apple is waking up one morning realizing that you are that bad apple, <laughs> you know? And there have been times, I'm sure you've done the same thing. You wake up in the morning going, fuck, am I the asshole? Is is it me? And there have been times that it absolutely has been me. But those are the wake-up calls, right? Those are the Those are the times you wake up and go, okay, yeah, it's time to change. It's time to yep. change. But I think that's great advice, man. I mean, uh, um, I think you can you can be a hardcore jumper until you're 90 years old or you can decide to stop at 25 or 30 because you just kind of filled up again once a skydiver always a skydiver and the best thing about this sport is the community which will be welcoming to any jumper past or present forever which is amazing um right. so for me the best part of the sport i'll have for the rest of my life which is the community um yeah. even if i'm not jumping anymore um although hopefully i'll still get out and jump now and then but uh, it's certainly not as high a priority as it was you know in my 20s and 30s so right right yeah. well, one other piece of advice to people whether they're new or seasoned is if you feel burned out and you do not want to quit, take a fucking break, mm. take six months, take a year, you know, just jump enough to keep your ratings current or whatever you want to do, but take a fucking break and rejuvenate yourself with, with the sport when it's time, because the worst thing to do is to become that grumpy, ornery person on the drop zone and react on emotion and, you know, and, and not, uh, be, be, um, what do they call what's that book emotional thinking or something i can't remember what it's called but mm. you know if if you respond on emotion only and you don't take a minute to digest what what the situation is putting in front of you well then you're going to come off as an asshole all the time sure. and I, i'm i'm definitely uh i have some regrets about that and you know you don't want to regret things later is, is one of the biggest pieces of advice i can give anybody i i think both you and i have been called an asshole once or twice <laughs> We did our job right then. <laughs> Dan, yeah. I'll tell you what, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to catch up. It's been way too fucking long and we got to make sure it doesn't take another 10 or 15 years before we sit and shoot the shit again. We used to have so much fun. So let's keep in contact. Definitely. And I'm honored. I appreciate it. It's been, it's yeah. been, it's been nice. I was a little nervous when it started. I've never done, you know, even a video chat before I hate them. And, uh, but it's been a cool experience. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm grateful. I appreciate it. But just back in the uh, in the classroom waiting for students. That's all it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. All right, brother. Thank you so much, man. You have a great one. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. 
by Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe Podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around. Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy.